wake up and enjoy 30 minutes of freshly brewed baseball goodness. This is MLB Morning Coffee, a daily MLB podcast. Now here's your host, Greg Mraz. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode three of MLB Morning Coffee, a daily MLB podcast. My name is Greg Mraz, your host. Apologies, first off, for getting this out a little bit later than normal. I had some issues with my recording equipment earlier this morning. I had to I had to troubleshoot a few things, take a few things apart, and basically a lot of other technical jargon that you probably don't want to know. But we are here. We are live. This is still going to be in the morning for those of you on the West Coast. On the East Coast, it's going to be more of your... Mid-afternoon coffee, sort of the coffee you, you go to the, the water cooler area at your office and get because you're bored at your desk and you need something to listen to and your boss is droning on and on about something. But anywho, here are the Daily Grounds. Major League Baseball a couple of weeks ago instituted a new policy that said that pay for minor leaguers was going to be raised significantly by the year 2021, while the Cubs and the Giants have decided to increase that pay a year early. MLB informed teams on Friday that it would be raising minimum salaries for minor leaguers in 2021, with increases ranging from 38 to 72 percent. Cubs GM Jed Hoyer said that the Cubs pay bumps will take effect this season and will mirror those that the Toronto Blue Jays did in 2019, when the Blue Jays became the first club to boost minor league pay by giving all of their minor leaguers 50% raises. Hoyer said that the idea was pushed by the Ricketts family who owns the Cubs. Quote, they obviously had read about all the teams talking about changing it, Hoyer said. They read about the Blue Jays, and they're like, we need to do this. We put a tremendous emphasis on player development. We put a tremendous emphasis on our minor league talent, and the Ricketts family were pretty adamant that we treat them as well as anybody. So... The question I have on the Cubs' end is, well, if you're willing to raise pay for minor leaguers and the Ricketts family feels like it's willing to dole out this money, where's the money for Chris Bryant? You put all this money into redoing Wrigley Field, where's the money for Chris Bryant? But we touched on that subject yesterday. The Giants are going to do the same thing. They're going to make their AAA players earn $15,000 for the five-month season. The Major League minimum salary, by the way, is going to be $563,000 this year, and obviously top players make millions more annually. A group of minor leaguers filed a lawsuit against Major League teams in February of 2014 because they claimed that their salaries violated minimum wage laws. That case has not yet gone to trial, but Congress passed legislation in 2018 that effectively stripped minor league players from protection under federal minimum wage laws. The essence of this is that minor leaguers are going to get paid more money. However, and we're going to get into this in our main segment of the day, which I'll give you a preview now, touches on Rob Manfred and his absolute horridness as a commissioner this past off season. This might just be a front for Manfred's contraction plan, which is going to eliminate minor league teams, and thus you end up with less minor league players, even though they're making more money. So in effect... You could be raising pay for minor leaguers, but you also, if Major League Baseball has its way, could be paying less minor leaguers. More on that in the main segment. Another apology that I want to issue is that we neglected to talk about one of the main players in this Trading Your Superstars segment last episode. I brought up Chris Bryant. I brought up Francisco Lindor. 
Obviously, we talked about Mookie Betts and what his trade signified for Major League Baseball and the future of what franchisers are doing, but I did not touch on Nolan Arenado, which is a more unique situation in itself, because Arenado already signed a big money long-term extension with the Rockies, who effectively wanted to pay their homegrown star, but they seem to be having buyer's remorse in the fact that they don't see themselves as a contender now and don't want to have to pay Arenado now. And there has been a lot of bad blood between Arenado and Rockies GM Jeff Burdich this offseason. Burdich spoke yesterday for the first time regarding the Arenado situation since the team arrived at spring training. Quote, today was day two and yesterday was day one with him in camp. We've seen each other. We haven't sat yet, but I trust that we will. He's just like all the other players. We'll find time to sit down and interact both with myself and others, so I trust we'll find the right time for that. He continues, I think it's a part of being a team and competing as a group from year to year. You try to be on the same page as much as you can, and that takes a conversation. It takes time, and sometimes there are natural disagreements or there's a miscommunication over time, and so you continue to work the right ship. Arenado has been very public about the disrespect that he has felt from Burdich and the Rockies this offseason. They're one week shy of the eight-year $260 million extension. I know I said 240 earlier in this segment, but it was eight years $260 million that he signed last offseason to keep him in Colorado for the foreseeable future. Basically, what Arenado is getting at here is that there were so many rumors about him leaving this season, whether it be a trade to the Cardinals, be a trade to the Nationals, or be a trade somewhere else, that he got the vibe that the organization didn't want him. Now, I guess the real question is, Colorado has been very competitive over the last couple of years. They didn't make the playoffs last year. They had a surprisingly down year. They were the wild card winners in 2018 and have been frequent playoff contributors since Bud Black took over as manager. I don't understand why there is a penchant for Arenado to get out of there because they just signed him to that big money of a contract. But after they lost DJ LeMahieu, it somewhat seemed clear that the core that made them such a good team in 2018 was not going to be there for 2019. In any event, if a team finds the right deal for Arenado, I just think that this relationship is too damaged beyond repair in order for anything to be done about salvaging it. I hope for the sake of Rockies fans and anybody that loves Nolan Arenado that he stays in Colorado because he's one of the best third basemen in baseball. He's one of the top five overall position players in baseball. And if he gets traded, the Rockies are going to be in a sad state for many years to come. We're just going to put something out there right now and until the season actually starts and it starts to go away in the public eye, The sign-stealing scandal is going to be a part of every single news cycle in baseball. It is that big. And while we're going to talk about Rob Manfred exclusively in our main segment following the Daily Grounds, I want to get to this segment in particular because this is something that was brought up by Cody Bellinger a little bit earlier last week, and now we have finally gotten a chance to hear from Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge spoke yesterday at Yankee Spring Training and basically sounded off on his opinion of the Astros. Quote, I had a lot of respect for them, the way they played, and what they did. And then to find out that it wasn't earned, they cheated, that didn't sit well with me. And I just didn't feel like the post really meant the same anymore. Aaron Judge has a legitimate argument that Jose Altuve and the Astros of 2017, who cheated, stole the MVP from him. That season, Judge hit 284 with 52 homers and 114 RBI. He was the unanimous selection for the AL Rookie of the Year. 
Altuve hit 346, had 24 homers and 81 RBI. He also stole 32 bases. In the voting, Altuve received 27 first-place votes, three second-place votes, to judges two first-place votes and 27 second-place votes. So the way that you look at it now, Judge basically has all the argument in the world to be angry, and he actually responded to Cody Bellinger's statement. Quote, With Bellinger, man, I agree with a lot of the things he said. He went out there and spoke his mind. I really don't want to get into the whole if Altuve stole the MVP or not because that really doesn't matter. It's over with. I've got to make sure next time I don't keep the vote so close to go out there and win it outright. So there's no question he won it, and that's how it is. Judge also said that he was pretty mad and upset to learn that the Yankees' 2017 postseason could have been impacted by sign-stealing. No matter what anybody says, Judge continues, that impacts the game. Going in there, knowing what's coming, that's more people on base. You get more walks. You're getting more hits. You come to the plate with more opportunities with guys on base, so it definitely impacted the results of that ALCS. And they can say that we didn't score runs, we didn't do this and that, but it affected the game big time. And Judge also said in response to the penalties, it was, quote, pretty weak for a player-driven scheme. I think that the Yankees have been most impacted, other than the Dodgers, by this entire sign-stealing scandal because they, number one, play in the same division as the Red Sox, but more importantly, they have faced the Astros in the postseason twice in the last three years. The Yankees, though, might be coming under their own fire based on whatever role that we may or may not know about with Carlos Beltran having worked in their front office in 2018 and 2019. Again, there is absolutely nothing and nothing at all that says that the Yankees did anything, but the rumors have been circulating, and as the old saying goes, where there's smoke, there might be fire. It's nothing concrete at this point, but let's wrap it up by saying this. Aaron Judge finally spoke, and he's really the first main guy from the Yankees that we've heard from that has a dog in this fight. Our final segment of the Daily Grounds comes courtesy of Boston, where the Red Sox have signed veteran catcher Jonathan Lucroy to a minor league contract. He spent last season split between the Angels and the Cubs, hitting a combined 232 with eight homers and 36 RBI across 101 games. He's a two-time All-Star that's 33 years of age. He is four years removed from his most productive season when he hit 292 with 24 homers and 81 RBI split between the Rangers and the Brewers. Sources say that he could challenge Kevin Plawlecki for Boston's catch-up job behind starter Christian Vasquez. He suffered a concussion in late July when he crashed into Houston's Jake Marisnik, and, well, it just seems like there's always something involving the Astros. Jonathan Lucroy is one of those guys that I feel like five years ago everybody thought that this was going to be a career that was going to be fruitful for a long time to come, but as it has turned out, It has unfortunately been an injury-ridden career. It has been a career that sadly has fallen short of what many expected back in his time in the Brewers. I will say this. Jonathan Lucroy is a good leader of men. He really helped the 2018 Oakland Athletics get to the wild card. He was their main catcher that year. He provides leadership where he goes. He calls a great game. I actually have a couple of friends back in Montana, the Hughes family, Marlene and Dave Hughes, that were his host parents back when he was playing for the Helena Brewers in 2007. So hats off to you, Jonathan Lucroy. Glad that you're staying in it and hope that you have a productive season. And that is the Daily Grounds for today, February 19th. So that is the Daily Ground segment. We do it every single day. And I made it a little bit shorter today than I did yesterday because... 
I want to give a shout-out to my friends Mark Rivera and Tyler Oman, who gave me a couple of ideas for where I should go with my next segment, because I had told both of them that I was going to end up doing the Trading Your Superstars segment for episode number two after I focused mainly on the sign-stealing scandal in episode number one. And I'll say, once we actually get into the season, it's going to be a lot more headline-based, and these opinions are going to be more based on what's going on on the field. But we haven't started spring training games yet. We haven't necessarily gotten to see a whole lot of action yet. And I'm going to make the effort to try and get a preview of every single team in one of these episodes. And that might be a segment that we cut out part of the headlines for and be able to to structure that a little bit around it. So uh, I'd like to get a season preview of everybody once I can sort of source my materials and, and be able to understand like how rosters are coming together and, and who is who's expected to do what. Because the offseason still really hasn't stopped, and there will be a couple more signings here and there, like we just indicated with Jonathan Lucroy. But getting back to the crux of it all, I, I had two directions that I wanted to take this main segment today. The first, which is what I was going to do initially, was talking about the controversy brewing between Aubrey Huff and the San Francisco Giants about why he was not invited back for their upcoming 2010 10-year championship reunion. I personally think that that is a subject that needs its whole episode itself, and that's what I wanted to take this episode in. But then Rob Manfred had another press conference yesterday, and it got me to thinking that talking about Manfred and whether or not he's the right guy to lead Major League Baseball at this moment is a really relevant topic because beyond the sign-stealing scandal, there are a lot of things that I want to touch on with with what Rob Manfred is. And I was actually talking with a couple of friends via text message the other day, and I honestly never thought that I would say that I miss Bud Selig, but I miss Bud Selig. Because unlike Rob Manfred, it actually feels like Bud Selig legitimately liked the game of baseball. Rob Manfred's just a businessman. So you have a couple of different things that have kind of smoldered into this fire surrounding Manfred. Number one, he keeps putting his foot in his mouth in regards to what he says in regards to the Houston Astros. Number two, his plan to expand the playoffs, which, by the way, I think is one of the stupidest ideas ever. Just because if you expand the playoffs to seven teams each side, you are completely diluting the competition. In effect you are going to have 14 of the 30 teams in the playoffs. No, you can't do that. Then what's the point? Some team that's five games under 500 might have a chance at being a quote-unquote wild card. I'm not even going to touch on this because basically they want a a made-for-TV event where the top seed gets to pick who they play. Here's how you fix the playoffs. You make the wild card round a best-of-three series. If you like the wild card so much, that's how you do it. So that way, you don't have a scenario like you did in 2015 where you've got the Cardinals at 100 wins, the Pirates at 98 wins, the Cubs at 96 wins, and you've got another division winner that's at 90 wins. They get to play a full series. Meanwhile, the Pirates, who win 98 games, get eliminated in one game because Kyle Schwarber has a great game. It's unbalanced. That's my point. If you make it a best-of-three series, at least two teams who have grinded it out for the entire year have a chance to play multiple games to decide who goes on to that next round. All right, if you want to keep the division system in place, then fine, do that. 
But if not, then make sure that the teams that put up monster years in terms of their wins have a chance to go beyond just one game. Not some, like, little reality TV tournament to where you're picking X team and Y team and a team that's, like, 12 games worse than another team has a chance to go farther because you're devaluing the regular season completely. And then you go into the minor league contraction. Oh, the minor league contraction. And this is a subject that I've wanted to sound off on for a while. You want to take 42 teams out of their communities. You want to strip baseball away from towns that don't have any near access to a major league team. Do you want people in Billings, Montana to be Major League Baseball fans? Do you want people in Ogden, Utah to be Major League Baseball fans? Do you want people in Jackson, Tennessee to be Major League Baseball fans? If you do, you keep their teams there. You don't strip them away. I worked for the Clinton Lumber Kings for two years, and I know that Lumber Kings employees are listening to this podcast, so shout out to you right now, Tyler Oman, Ted Torno, and Michael Bruskowski. They're one of the teams on Rob Manfred's list, and I give Ted all the credit in the world. He and his fellow GMs in the Midwest League are fighting tooth and nail to make sure that this disastrous plan does not happen. Manfred came out when this plan first came to light and said, well, these teams are riding around on school buses and they're not staying in adequate hotels. Hey, Rob, I did it for five years. I never rode on a school bus in my dang life. You have no idea what you're talking about. And this whole raising the scale of minor league players that we talked about a little bit earlier, that is a complete front. Now, granted, I am happy to see that minor leaguers are going to get paid more. But they put this in the contingency that they're taking away 42 teams, which means less players, which means you have to pay less players. So the money that you're doling out is effectively similar, but you're not paying as many players and you're killing the dreams of guys that might have a chance to make the big leagues all because you want to save minimal money I want to point you to a video on the Ogden Raptors Facebook page it is from their longtime owner and general manager Dave Baggett it comes from mainly an Ogden perspective and I've had a chance to spend two years working in the Pioneer League and going to Lindquist Field, which is one of the nicest facilities at any level of baseball that you'll find. He said that it costs a major league team around $55,000 to put a short season team on the field. That's a three-month team, 76 games plus playoffs. That is chump change for major league baseball franchises. So you want to take short season teams away so you can save $55,000. That makes no sense. And by the way, one of the organizations that hatched this plan to Manfred in the first place was, oh, the Houston Astros. And that's my next point. Rob Manfred has continued to put his foot in his mouth every single time he has talked about this. He comes out in an interview and says that players that throw at Astros players are going to be punished and that they need to protect the Astros players from retaliation. So wait a minute. You want to protect guys who cheated the game and you don't think that you can punish players? The whole notion is ridiculous. I don't understand why Rob Manfred can't have a little bit more stones, quote-unquote, 
to be able to put an effective punishment in place for those who cheated. And guess what? Every single player that has come out now against the commissioner is right in full to do so. And guess what? He even got some ire from LeBron James. That's right, LeBron James. And here's what LeBron said, because I think LeBron James is one of the most articulate public figures in the sports world. Quote, listen, I don't play baseball, but I am in sports, and I know if someone cheated me out of winning the title and I found out about it, I would be effing irate. I mean, like, uncontrollable about what I would slash could do, James wrote on Twitter. Listen. Here, baseball commissioner, listen to your players speaking today about how disgusted, mad, hurt, broken, etc., etc. about this. Literally, the ball is in your court, or should I say field, and you need to fix this for the sake of sports. If you have LeBron James coming out against you, Rob Manfred, then you have clearly done something wrong. And to me, one of the things that I don't understand is why Rob Manfred can't take a more aggressive stance like the NBA's Adam Silver did. When Donald Sterling and all of his racist tapes came out in that fateful year of, I believe it was the 2014 playoffs. Yeah, it was the 2014 playoffs. And Adam Silver, after his investigation, banned Donald Sterling from the game for life. Just came out and did it. The commissioner is an employee of the owners. He is there to serve the owners. Now, whether or not those other NBA owners came together and said to Silver, hey, man, you know, we, we, we've uh, we got to get this guy out, even though, uh, you know, we've been, been protecting his pockets for uh, all, all these years. I, I felt like doing that voice, by the way, so just uh, just in case anybody was wondering why I just did that, that's my murmuring owner voice. If you, you know, if you ever want to hear that again, I'm... Uh, uh, I, I do comedy on Tuesdays. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I don't actually do comedy on Tuesdays. But in any event, they got him out. They got Donald Sterling out because the commissioner was willing to take a stand. You have gotten to a moment in the game of baseball where your commissioner has to take a stand. Eventually, and it took a while, Bud Selig took a stand against steroids. There are a lot of people that have been saying, well, this is worse than the steroid scandal. Well, if you know what's coming, and John Carlos Stanton actually said it yesterday, he's like, if you know what's coming, I would hit 80 homers a year. And that's fair. He's John Carlos Stanton. He's one of the most powerful hitters in baseball. If he knows what's coming, he knows how to guess it, and that pure power stroke goes on that ball, and boom, out of here. There are other issues that Manfred has, such as the juicing of the baseball, these new rules that have come into place, like the three-batter minimum, so which effectively eliminates the loogie, which is the left-handed uh, one-batter guy. I just am beside myself at the fact that Rob Manfred, in an interview with ESPN, degraded the World Series trophy to being just a piece of metal. Now, he later apologized for that, but Manfred had a press conference yesterday that I would like to say unearthed a few things, and has also set a course for what he must do. And if he does not do these things, then I think it would be fair to say that it's time to force him out of the commissioner's role. Because simply put, he's not fit for it. 
he effectively admitted in his press conference yesterday that he knows that the Astros cheated during the playoffs, that they cheated during the playoffs this year, and you're not doing anything about it. He knew about the trash can banging. He knew about the Apple Watches. He knew about all of it. And the A's filed complaints to Major League Baseball. They did nothing about it. I am just, how can you be the rule of law in the sport and not have any idea what is just and what is unjust? It is so infuriating that they just can't get this right. There's no transparency from Rob Manfred. He's giving players immunity. Now, Mike Fires, I do believe, gets immunity because he was the one that that started the ball going down this gigantic hill. But in any event, I am hopeful. I am severely hopeful, truly hopeful, I should say, that Manfred can reverse course. But there's nothing that says that he will. And I also think that if you knew that there was cheating going on during the playoffs and you have proof of it, you can strip the Astros of their World Series title. You have that power. They do it in the Olympics all the time. They've done it in basketball. They've done it in college football. You know, the Fab Five Michigan teams, they had their Final Four banners taken down, stripped of their accomplishments, and put away. USC, because of what Reggie Bush did, Stripped down, taken away, vacated, gone. Southern Methodist University, the Pony Express, their program got the death penalty. I don't understand why you have these notions of what you can do in college athletics, but you can't do them in the pros. I understand you've got unions, and the players' union has a lot of power over this, but if there are enough players that are feeling like they want something to be done about this and don't necessarily care about their collective bargaining agreement and what you know playoff bonuses and such mean to the Astros. I mean, there have been some writers that have thrown out some wacky ideas for punishment of the Astros. And I think that one of them written by Joel Sherman yesterday, I think was actually really cool. He said, the Astros have to play as the visiting team in every one of their potential playoff games. So they don't get their last licks, per se. I like that. I have no problem with that. There was also something that Joel said that you ban players from playing in all-star games for three years that were implicated in this stealing scandal. Why does that have any effect? Well, people are like, well, that's just an all-star game. But guys have bonuses in their contracts for making all-star games. There's a lot that you can do. There are a lot of opportunities that Commissioner Manfred can take in order to right the wrongs here. But he has to act quickly, and he has to act now. Because simply put, if you let this fester, and you have more and more players that sound off on this, and you get into a season, and you start seeing the retaliation that so many like Trevor Bauer and Mike Clevenger have promised against these Astros players, that everybody knew were cheating. Then where does it end? And what does it do for the game of baseball? I just see a domino effect from this if nothing is done 
that could be the sport's collective demise. And I know that I said something very similar to that at the end of episode one. But this focuses in on Manfred, who has done himself no favors to the grace of baseball fans, to the grace of minor league franchises that could be stripped away, to the grace of the integrity of the game by trying to expand the playoffs to seven teams or to change the rules so that you have potential seven teams qualify for the playoffs on each side. If you're trying to get greater viewership and expand the game, you do what's right for the game. You keep minor league baseball in all of these cities that that is their only access to professional sports. You don't take that away. What you do is you sit down, you go through the list of issues that you have created for yourself because you've created a whole heck of a lot of issues for yourself, Rob Manfred, and you ponder and you wonder and then you act on what's right. But I don't know if this commissioner can do that. He has not shown during his time in charge of Major League Baseball that he has the ability to sacrifice the almighty dollar for the integrity of the game. And I'll leave it at that because there are so many other cans of worms that you can open in regards to Rob Manfred. But the title of this episode, Is Rob Manfred Fit to Run Major League Baseball? He's a lawyer. He's a businessman. He's not a baseball guy. He got this position because he could work dollars and cents. And you know what? He's done that. But at what cost to the future of the sport? I think baseball is in a whole heck of a lot of trouble as long as Rob Manfred is running the game. And if he continues to railroad ahead with his plan to kill 42 minor league baseball teams, if he defends his punishment of the Astros, whereas organizations like Manchester City can ban a team from the Champions League tournament for two years and fine them 30 million euro, you 1,000% have the ability to level more severe punishments on the Astros. And I'll close with this. If you don't change your precedent, the punishments that will eventually be handed down to the Boston Red Sox are going to be just as lackluster as the punishments that were handed down to the Astros. I think a lot of people, when the punishments first came out, they're like, whoa, they banned A.J. Hinch, they banned Jeff Luno, the maximum penalty that they could find was $5 million plus draft picks in the first and second round in 2021 and 2022. A lot of people at first thought, wow, I can't believe that he came down hard. But then in retrospect, it wasn't hard enough because we didn't know the full story. And the story is still unfolding. And it may not be done for quite some time. That's going to do it for this episode of MLB Morning Coffee. Make sure that you write a review, write a rating, subscribe, hit that download button, listen to us, go back, listen to prior episodes if you missed anything on my hot and fiery opinions. Have a great rest of your day, everybody, and we'll talk to you in the AM.